up to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does as well. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. Then he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Your Father, we have before us a glorious account of your compassion and mercy demonstrated in the life of this man. And through this man, the compelling message of the truth concerning Jesus Christ presented to the world at large and particularly to the religious leaders who were examining him and all who were bystanders. We pray that as we are bystanders many centuries later, as we observe this investigation and this conversation, as we witness this man's growing conviction that the one who had accomplished this miracle and healing his blindness was from God, we pray that you would, with your power, change our hearts, 
Make us people who are convicted of the powerful person and work of Jesus Christ. That we might say with this man, who is he that we may believe in him? And having believed in him, that we might be bold in our proclamation of Jesus Christ. I pray that my words would be faithful to your word, because it is your word alone which is holy and true and just. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many experiences you've had with the law, and particularly with the judicial aspect of the law, but I remember when I was going to college in Minnesota one winter during, or I should say following a typical snowstorm, that I parked in front of St. Thomas College for a class. The snow was three to four feet high on the grass at the curb, and when I returned to my car, I found a ticket. I was astonished. Why would there be a ticket on my car? We were lucky, lucky to get down the roads, let alone find a ticket there for a moving violation. I found I'd parked in front of a fire hydrant that was covered by snow. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I thought that this was unjust, so I prepared to go to court with fear and trepidation, as I had never appeared in court to defend myself before. I was worried that the judge would not have the time or the interest to listen to what I had to say, or that, even worse still, having heard what I said, a clear case of injustice, that I had received a ticket, that his decision would be against me. So I got there, and I waited through all the much more serious cases that were on the docket. I heard my case called. I went up, trembling, and was asked by the judge to explain the situation. I told him the situation. He listened, and he dismissed the case and the ticket against me in short order. When a judge wants to hear your opinion and experience and listens carefully and believes you, that is an experience that every person who tells a true story should have. Unfortunately, we have experience, we have ear witness or eyewitness accounts that tell us all too often that is not the case. The judges do not have time or inclination to listen. We feel that all too often the judges decide arbitrarily and unfairly and unjustly. That is the problem with the situation that we have in our account. The account, the story that is heard by the Pharisees when the man healed of blindness is telling them of his miraculous healing. This shouldn't be a trial situation, but it is. And though on this day this man has experienced an amazing gift of healing given him by Christ, changing his life from the day of his birth up until the present, nothing like it, he is treated with mistrust and suspicion given the third degree by the religious leaders who were very unworthy. We see them going through the process of reacting and relating to this wonderful work of Jesus Christ, coming to the exact opposite conclusion regarding his work that this healed man comes to. And so we are examining the whole process of what is going on in this chapter. Last week we saw that all those who observed this miracle began with doubt. And then they proceeded to investigation. 
examination, <clears throat> the details of the case, does it, is what appears to be the case, the real truth concerning the matter? And that's why we see, as I read today, that they brought in the man's parents to find out if this truly was a man born blind, the real person. <clears throat> so we proceed from doubt to examination or investigation to decision. As we look at this account, we ask ourselves, how is it possible that anybody looking at this could come to a conclusion <clears throat> other than the one which the man born blind comes to? How is it possible that people could see this miracle and decide against the fact that it was the power of God at work? Well, Christ tells us in another passage in the Gospels, Luke 6, 45, how it is possible. And there he says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. And so as we look at the religious leaders and the man who has been healed, as they are in the process of and do make their decision regarding this miracle, we can expect that their mouths will be the first to signal the decision of their hearts, the attitudes of their hearts, the direction in which they are pointed and will go. And so we see from this passage that the decisions that they reach reflect the inner man and not the experience itself. We see with regard to the religious leaders in verse 28, they hurled insults at him. And they said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. They were against it. They refused to be lectured by an unschooled former beggar man regarding things in which their expertise lay. They hated the possibility that the way he told them was the way it happened, and the interpretation he gave it was the truth concerning the matter. They hated the thought that this miracle was indeed a miracle and could possibly have been done by the power of God at work in their midst because it had not been channeled through them. The power of God had not come from them, and therefore they detested the whole thing. Therefore they insulted the man... <clears throat> who had been healed for telling them the truth, and they insulted Jesus for performing the miracle. It's an amazing demonstration of the decision. It's an amazing demonstration that despite the facts that the evil of their hearts was being exhibited by the overflow of their mouths. And so as they come into this situation, and they're dealing with a man who is celebrating one day above all days, they have no room for his celebration they have no desire to participate in the celebration. For them, it is a day for cursing and insults. Amazing. Such a glorious day, and they spend it insulting the man who is celebrating. Imagine going to a birthday party and calling the person whose birthday it was names. <laughs> a bad day. That would be a bad day. <clears throat> Look at the decision regarding the healed man. I think we see this man in process. He is moving 
to a definite conclusion which the facts of the case bring upon him. <coughs> he says in verse 30, and the man answered, now that is remarkable. You say you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not listen to sinners. He's reasoning through this thing. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. <clears throat> and later his decision, he's, he's, he's revealing his decision to the Pharisees. This man were not from God, he could do nothing. Later his decision regarding the person of Jesus as healer is made known to Christ. Jesus heard they had thrown him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is an expression that would have indicated to this man the Messiah. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. That is eagerness. <clears throat> in his response to the Pharisees, this man revealed he could not help but side with the healer. Here we find his decision expressed to Christ. He will believe on whomever Jesus tells him to believe. He's seen clearly, he's decided faithfully. Out of any miracle or work of God, people take both forks in the road. <clears throat> the fork of continued unbelief, which is characterized in Scripture as the broad path that leads to destruction. This is truly not a fork in the road. This is the main course of the road itself. There is no veering necessary in order to take the broad path that leads to destruction. Pharisees, the religious leaders, are taking the broad path that leads to destruction. The man who has been healed, however, is taking the fork in the road, which as it is expressed in Scripture, is the narrow path. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <clears throat> <clears throat> now, I think it's important for us to note, before I go on to the action that arises out of the decisions, that it's no accident that the man who has been healed is the one whose life has changed, whose decision is made, who sides with his healer, Jesus Christ. The tragedy is that you and I know of so many cases, and God help us that it is not we ourselves in which people who have experienced personally the amazing work of Christ upon their behalf, such as a miraculous healing or some other situation where God granted them grace and mercy in the midst of a terrible circumstance, the people having experienced this are not changed in any way, shape, or form. For a moment they may say, God, I wouldn't be here without God's work. And yet, that decision is not something that is heart-changing, life-changing decision. It is instead a blip, a stone tripped upon in the broad path, the way that leads to destruction. And so even as we see these two examples presented before us, God help us from responding as the Pharisees did. Whether we are the one who has experienced the amazing work of God on our behalf, or we observe others who have experienced it. Because it is easy and it's tragic 
from the inside, we do not realize what it is like. Even if we're the Pharisees in the situation, we do not realize what it is like to be the people who go to the birthday party and curse the person whose birthday it is. It's natural to us. All we can think of in those circumstances is this is an amazing thing, and it's good, and it shouldn't have happened because I had no part in it. Right? We do not want to be the Pharisees. Instead, we want to be the people, such as this man who had been healed of blindness, who see through the grace of God the work of God, who perhaps have experienced it, and then realize, as the example is that Paul gives in the letters, who looks in the mirror and then turns away and does nothing? Well, many of us could have looked in the mirror after our night sleeping out in tents. Saturday morning, looked in the mirror and said, yuck. (laughs) But I'm glad I didn't have a mirror there. (laughs) So I can't be guilty of looking in the mirror and saying, oh, that fellow there, who is he? He looks terrible. But the example that Paul gives us is who looks in a mirror and turns away and does nothing. We must be people like this man who having witnessed, experienced the work of God, turn and say, God, change me. Who is he that I may believe in him? Who is he that I may follow him? That is amazing work. I had no part in it. Praise God for doing this thing. I need to honor him for his work. So we see (coughs) that as out of the heart the mouth speaks, so it is that out of the decision action springs. Religious leaders had hardened hearts. They said to this man, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? They threw him out. Their action was to curse him. Their action was to excommunicate him. They threw him out of the synagogue. That's what they did in reality. So that he was not welcome in the worshiping community. This would make him an outcast in Jewish society as a whole. Now, we understand that from chapter 9, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Their minds were made up already. Regardless of the powerful evidence that confronted them and his argument on behalf of Jesus, it didn't matter. It was done. It was completed. If anybody said Jesus is the Messiah, it doesn't matter what miracle has occurred. They're gone. We can't have them among us. So these leaders were out of step with the people. The reputation was not one of compassion. They were judges who were not concerned in any way with the truth of the justice of the matter. Instead, they acted as they saw fit and not as any external circumstances guided or directed them. This is a terrible thing for leaders to do. Instead, godly leadership should require that people are free to come to their leaders to answer whatever questions might be asked of them without being cowed into silence. People should be confident of the compassion of their leaders for them and their families so that on a day of great celebration like this, they should be able to come to the leaders and know the leaders will say, magnificent, wonderful, and mean it. 
The people should be able to rely upon the leaders to acknowledge when they have been wrong. The people should be able to rely upon the leaders to make decisions and evaluate situations and circumstances by the circumstances themselves rather than by the personal attitudes of hatred or jealousy. Not only did these Pharisees, these religious leaders, curse this man and create a climate which prevented his parents from answering their questions because the people already knew that they were unjust, but they also denied their sinfulness. Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I have come into this world, so the blind will see, those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So their further action is a denial of their sinfulness. This, of course, puts them at odds with the entirety of Scripture. What they claim to believe in, they know they're sinners. And yet they deny their sinfulness. And Christ points it out. Now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. How did the healed man act? I'd like you to notice three points with regard to the healed man's action in this situation. And take them to heart because they should be things that are represented in our lives arising out of a decision to trust in Christ. He confessed with his mouth. Romans 10.10 says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. This man did this boldly, speaking out for what he knew concerning the person of his healer, Jesus, even before he came to know that this person was the Christ. He did it in such a way that he made the Pharisees detest him. He said, obviously, this man is from God. We know God doesn't listen to sinful men and answer their prayers. And who has ever done a miracle like this before? And so he was proclaiming the work of God, and he was drawing people's eyes to the logical conclusions concerning this thing. Think about this with regard to ourselves. Do we confess our experiences? Do we point to the power of Christ, which has brought us to the point at which we are now? Or are we silent concerning him? He confessed. He spoke boldly. This is what we must do. In confessing with his mouth, he then suffered for Christ. We see an example of this as reports return to us from all around the world. Bob and Debbie Clark were talking about some of the grad students that they have worked with. who have trusted in Christ and are going back, for instance, one of them, I think, to Japan. One of them, I think, to Malaysia other Far Eastern places like that, where faith in Christ is completely at odds with the religious systems of their parents. And so they know that when they go back that they are entering an extremely dangerous situation. This man knew, his parents knew, speak out saying this regarding the person of Jesus and trouble is ahead. Now, we say, okay, this man didn't know that he would just you know, But if you look at the things he said, getting harder and harsher in his comments to the Pharisees, he knew 
that he was asking for trouble through the situation. And so as we live what so often are comfortable lives as Christians in this country, we must consider that Christ calls us to boldly proclaim him, even in such a way that we willingly risk suffering for him. We see that Jesus came to this man after the Pharisees threw him out. And so he was granted further grace and blessing as a result of what? His suffering for Christ, right? Consider that when we desire to take a comfortable course. And finally, in verse 37, Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The third thing that this man did concerning Christ, he confessed Christ boldly speaking of him. He suffered for Christ. And finally, you cannot avoid any of these things if you trust in Christ. He worshiped him. Who do you worship? As Steve was talking in Sunday school this morning, you're not going to worship a block of wood. You don't worship dogs or the horse down the road. You don't worship the sun. It's magnificent. The stars are magnificent. But the only individual, person, thing, or whatever concept that we are permitted to worship according to Scripture is God and God alone. And this man knew that. And therefore, in worshiping Christ, he was saying, You are God. I praise you. I honor you. And it was part and parcel with his miracle, but it was because he had come face to face with the Lord God. Remember that. This is a service of worship. We are called to offer as our service worship to the Lord. It's something that we must do with all of our hearts. And it's something we must do as a result of all the conviction that has been brought about in our hearts and our lives. All the work that has gone gone into God bringing us to him. So that he is honored and he is praised. People see that what we give to him we will give to no other. Worship. Nothing can take second place to him. Let us pray. Dear Father, we ask that we would seek your pleasure in our worship, not our own. That we would boldly proclaim the person of Jesus Christ and your power. The way you have revealed yourself in scripture, the truth concerning you, the way in which you have touched our lives and changed them, touched the lives of those around us. Pray that you would make us willing to suffer because we have experienced such great compassion and mercy at your hands. We pray again that our worship would be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.